Welcome to the sixth in our series of COVID-19 podcasts. The topic of this podcast is what life is like living and working in a pandemic world. Um, I'm delighted to be joined by the chair of our scientific panel, Dr. Nicholas Davies. I've known Nick for many years. In fact, I was trying to, I was trying to work out, Nick, how many years. I, I can't remember, but I'm guessing it must be around 20 years. Um, so Nick was one of our very first professional members of the Encephalitis Society and also during the 90s he served as one of our board of trustees. Um, he's a consultant neurologist at Chelsea and Westminster, Charing Cross and the Royal Marsden Hospitals in London and has been working on the front line during the COVID-19 uh, crisis. So Nick, uh, we last saw each other in January. We were, I think we sat, we had a glass of wine. We were talking about um, our forthcoming conference. We were happily ensconced in the Royal Society of Medicine, but little did we know that the next time that we were gonna meet was gonna be on a Zoom call in the middle of uh, this pandemic. So how are you? I'm well, thank you. I've um, I'm survived uh, uh, physically. Um, uh, fortunately, it was probably out of the country as the epidemic was really getting going in West London um, after um, uh, the half term in February. Um, so um, by the time I was back in circulation, uh, I was ready to take uh, appropriate measures. So how have the past four months been for you and for your colleagues? Very, very peculiar. Um, West London was particularly badly um, hit and hit early on um, by the COVID pandemic. Um, Chelsea uh, was very badly affected um, as people returned from, um, um, their, from skiing holidays. Um, but in my part of London, the borough that's most badly been hit is Brent in Northwest London, um, that has had sadly the highest uh, mortality of any borough uh, in, uh, in the UK. So um, it's been very different. Um, our working patterns have had to change um, very radically, very quickly. Um, our contact with patients as outpatients has changed to being a telephone and perhaps in future video-based service for um, much of what we do. Our inpatient uh, working load changed dramatically um, and we saw the, the neurological consequences of, um, of COVID infection. Um, and uh, it's uh, been um, a very challenging time. It's been a very exciting time in some respects as well. Um, hopefully this is a, a once in a career event to see um, a new disease present itself, to learn about it and taking a step back. It's um, uh, been professionally very interesting to see how um, our approach to this disease has changed over the three to four months even within the first few weeks, um, attending um, uh, our intensive care units and seeing how their approach to um, uh, patients changed week by week, week by week as a better understanding of the disease um, became apparent uh, was absolutely fascinating. And of course, it's been amazing to be um, a very, very small part of this enormous um, national multifaceted team that's pulled together um, uh, to try to give um, um, the best healthcare we can to as many people as possible. Do you think, um, you know, do you think that I'd be right in saying, you know, is this the biggest challenge that you faced in your career? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, could you imagine, um, actually I think we caught up um, at the start of March um, 
um, um, I can't remember if that was in person or, um, or, or remotely. And um, I was discussing you then before the lockdown, I was discussing with you the potential changes we were going to put in place in our hospitals in the next few days. Um, and discussed with you then um, the initial Imperial College epidemiology um, planning of how, you know, what this was going to affect and how there may be um, um, uh, further peaks throughout the year. Um, and what we were aiming for was to um, um, limit the, uh, uh, the height of the peak. And I think you, you'll remember then, I think being um, almost as taken aback as I had been a few days earlier when I'd first seen the data as to what was going to unfold. And actually all of those predictions so far have been relatively accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah I do I do remember it. I think we were probably on a, a Zoom call or something maybe. Um, you, you talked a little bit earlier about the area that you've been working in having a, a high uh, mortality rate. And I, I just wondered um, why you felt that was in, in your area. And, and perhaps, um, you know, hindsight's a great thing, but could we have learned more from the original SARS um, outbreak that we had a few years ago? So um, I, I think there are always lessons to be learned, and um, um, and I, I, I'm sure um, in due course we'll look back at um, how we dealt with things in the UK and try to make um, um, uh, uh, try to look for um, um, ways to make things um, better if we're faced with a similar situation in the future. Um, but I think um, over many years. Um, infectious diseases and communicable diseases have um, um, you know, gone to the bottom of the pile. The focus has been on treating cancer, improving cancer outcomes, improving um, um, stroke and heart attack outcomes, uh, improving management of diabetes and of um, hypertension. And infectious diseases have been um, um, at the bottom of the pile. Um, and um, we've forgotten many of the lessons of old as to um, how to um, prevent infectious diseases. And I think that's something as a, a not just uh, within um, medical and nursing um, environments, but also with us um, um, and the way we live our lives. Um, uh, and I think it's been a big wake up call um, um, uh, on many fronts. Mm. Um, what's your day-to-day -day working life like at the moment? We know that we're over this this initial uh, major peak. So, what you know, what's day-to-day -day like for you at the moment, and what precautions are you having to take? So, um, as of a fortnight ago, um, we got back to working in a similar way um, to how we had done prior to COVID. Um, so, I work at three different hospitals. Um, two of those hospitals I do um, clinics at. Those clinics are still um, uh, predominantly telephone-based clinics at present, although um, you know, we're well aware that patients in, with neurological problems in particular need to be seen um, physically and we're making arrangements in order to be able to do that. Um, within the hospital environment, um, things have changed um, uh, significantly in the last um, week or so. We're now um, expected to wear uh, masks um, most of the time, certainly where we're in the vicinity of other people. Um, and you can see in this office at the moment, um, I'm here by myself and that's why um, um, I don't have to wear uh, uh, one of these. 
Um, so that's something very different. Um, we're still taking great care uh, with patients um, and um, we um, uh, are not wearing the full FFP outfits um, unless dealing with patients with COVID or suspected COVID, um, but we're still taking much, much more care than perhaps would have been the case um, um, six months ago. Mm. Um, Clap for Carers has got a lot of attention um, and rightly so. Has it been well received by yourself and your colleagues? Yeah, I think um, it was much appreciated. Um, I think many in the medical profession, they felt that, um, um, you know, this is a massive effort um, and lots of people um, were needed in many different uh, walks and environments to make what was a national effort work. So I think many of us feel, um, you know, a little embarrassed to be in the, in the limelight. Um, certainly, just within medicine, um, my part was helpful, I hope, but um, I wasn't one of those people working 12-hour shifts um, in an intensive care unit um, with um, uh, um, the tight-fitting masks, the sweaty suits, all the rest of it. Um, you know, they have been uh, real heroes. And also looking around um, our hospital and the transformation that happened early in the epidemic, it required huge efforts from everybody. The estates department uh, managed to open um, a second ICU. Um, we doubled our intensive care capacity um, very, very quickly. Wards were converted almost overnight into single rooms from multiple occupancy bays. Oxygen uh, was more oxygen was plumbed into the hospital, more electricity. The army turned up um, to keep the deliveries of um, FFP um, coming in. Our cleaners have worked 24-7 um, um, to try and make the place spotless. Um, we've had a host of, um, of uh, volunteers with their um, purple t-shirts on, um, you know, helping uh, to keep the show on the road. Um, it's been um, um, a real national effort. And certainly in London, uh, early on, the population made a huge effort um, uh, to socially isolate, to distance, um, and um, without that um, effort on every front, I'm sure things would have been um, very different um, to, to what actually happened at the peak in April. Yes, I think you're right. And I, th I think it's really important that we remember everybody that is um, behind the scenes that contribute um, to, as you say, what was this incredible national and, you know, around the world international um, effort that went on. Um, you talked about peaks um, just then as you finished. And, and I wondered, do you think it's inevitable that we're going to be facing peaks and troughs as varying uh, numbers of people become ill? What, you know, what does that look like? I don't know. Um, and I should say, um, you know, first and foremost, I'm a neurologist, not uh, an infectious diseases epidemiologist. But I think the one thing I'd say is that um, um, models are based on um, um, uh, on uh, um, looking at other diseases that we know more about and trying to um, bring data from that and put it on to, um, um, to extrapolate um, and to put it on to um, this new disease that we face. But we're constantly learning about this virus. We don't know um, fully um, the um, environmental factors that, um, 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 that 
cause its transmission. Um, we, um, I don't think, fully understand why um, it disappears. We don't fully understand um, uh, the immune response against this virus. Um, for instance, um, you know, now with antibody tests, we're finding people who definitely have had the infection with symptoms and the PCR test who don't have antibodies but are better. And there are people who've had no symptoms who seem to have antibodies. So there's so much more to answer. Um, and therefore, I think we have to keep a really open mind and we have to be cautious. And through our daily actions and interventions, I think we need to take the appropriate steps to try to ensure that um, um, further peaks don't occur. But what the factors are that might lead to a further peak, I think we've still yet to learn. Yeah, no, very interesting. And I think you're absolutely right. It is, um, it is a virus that's really keeping us guessing. You know, a lot of it doesn't make sense, or at least to us, it doesn't make sense to us uh, yet. Um, do, but do you think, um, you know, given, given that situation, do you think that we should be easing current restrictions as we are, or would you have liked to have seen stricter, stricter measures? I think it's very much a political um, um, decision. And these measures that have been put in place have had massive impacts on um, um, many aspects of people's lives. Um, and uh, for instance, in April, our economy um, contracted by 20%. Furloughing is going to stop, um, um, or, or rather employers are going to have to contribute to furloughing, furloughing I think, from August. Many people have already lost their jobs. Um, school children before too long will have gone six months without um, formal education. These things have massive implications um, and uh, need to be weighed up. And we need to find, as a nation, a way to navigate ourselves um, out of this. Um, so uh, I don't think that the answers to taking things further forwards are purely medical. Um, but I think all of us as individuals um, will have to make um, personal decisions and uh, through our own behaviours um, uh, do our bit to try to minimise um, potential spread of infection. Yeah, I mean, as, as you've alluded to there, it has taken a, a superhuman effort to cope with the pandemic so far. I think, you know, both, both for people um, that who have been working on the front line, but also, as you say, general members of the public that we were reliant upon um, to do their very best to help us stop the spread. Do you think that there's um, a point um, politically, economically, medically, that we could reach a breaking point? Or do you think um, we're, we're going to see this through successfully? Um, I, I think that as a country, we will pull together and we will see um, this through successfully. I think there are going to be bumps along the way. I think that um, the measures needed um, to see it through have to be um, measures that um, people are prepared to abide with. Um, and we are um, a nation that, um, um, <laughs> that uh, does things um, um, collectively and um, we are not a nation um, used to um, uh, following draconian rules um, under threat. Um, 
And I think that um, uh, if we went down that route of um, um, a more police state, I think that um, uh, we would see bigger problems um, and it wouldn't work and um, it would have a, a, a really negative impact on um, control of COVID. So I think things have to be done with um, the will of the people and um, the support of the people. Um, and it's very, very difficult um, to, to, to balance up the impacts of, um, the, of the uh, measures taken, um, both financially, personally, mental health, impact on a whole generation of, um, of um, young people's education. Um, these things need to be very carefully considered. Yeah, wise words indeed, and the the anarchist inside me agrees wholeheartedly with you in terms of that uh, that approach. But let's just talk um, for a moment about um, some of the neurological complications that we've been seeing as a result of COVID nineteen. Could you tell us a little bit about about that, and and in particular any that you may have um, experienced? So um, <laughs> I've yet to experience any neurological side effects of COVID myself, um, I've <laughs> but I think that's a good place to start because many of my colleagues have had um, COVID and headaches, slowing of thinking have been really, really common symptoms. Um, and, my and my colleagues who've um, been hit by COVID relatively severely have often found it's really taken them several weeks, not just to get their um, um, physical energy back, but to get their um, brain firing again on um, all six cylinders. Um, and, uh, but they, they have got through. So I think um, at the mild end of the spectrum, there are um, symptoms that we all know about. Loss of smell is being highlighted um, uh, frequently but um, headaches uh, with fevers and flu-like symptoms have been common. In the people who've had more severe COVID um, disease, who've um, developed um, clotting disorders, um, so disorders where their, 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 their blood clots um, uh, excessively, um, and in those who have had um, excess inflammation in their blood, we've seen a, a number of things. We've seen um, um, patients having um, excessive um, strokes, um, so blood clots um, uh, blocking off blood supply to the brain. We've seen um, evidence of inflammation um, affecting um, blood vessels and arteries in particular within the brain. Uh, and we've seen conditions where um, um, the uh, immune system has appeared to um, um, attack the brain, causing brain inflammation, which uh, in our society, we're all, we all know what that is, that's encephalitis. Um, uh, the latter cases, thank goodness, have been uh, relatively rare, um, but the stroke cases have been more frequent, um, uh, and, uh, but generally um, most severe in, in patients badly affected with um, lung disease. Um, and then there's another aspect, which is um, what's happening to um, uh, um, patients who have had COVID and are in the process of recovery. And there we are really, really um, in the early days of observing and seeing and, um, and listening. Um, and it, it may be that um, um, we pick up more neurological problems there. Certainly 
uh, we've seen a few people who um, in recovery have had difficulties with um, what we call the peripheral nervous system, which is um, uh, the nerves in the arms and the legs that um, have been injured either because of the inflammation um, um, from COVID or because of having been very, very unwell. Um, so there are conditions like that. Um, I suspect that we will see um, patients having um, um, fatigue and um, malcognitive difficulties. Um, we often see that um, after other viral infections, and I think there's no reason to believe that um, um, COVID is going to be any different. And then slightly more broadly, um, um, there's been um, um, some interest in uh, what our psychiatry colleagues have seen. and. Um, our psychiatry colleagues have seen um, an excess of, um, of new onset psychological problems in young people who've had um, COVID. And again, we need to understand whether that's because of the infection itself or whether it's because of other factors associated with the infection. Um, the psychological impact of lockdown, you know, being um, deprived of um, other stimulation. We've got to learn. Mm. I was listening to um, a webinar, a Royal Society of Med Medicine webinar, actually a few weeks ago. Um, and I don't know how this had passed me by, given how long I've been doing this. But I was, I was really quite surprised when I heard um, uh, it was an intensive uh, care specialist who was talking. And he was saying that for, for some of these patients who have been very, very poorly and they've been in intensive care, um, the um, potential for them uh, during their recovery to be suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. I hadn't, I, I I hadn't realised that was a thing. He said he's yeah, something yeah. along the lines of there's 20 definitions of, of torture um, uh, by the uh, the Geneva Convention or, or one of one of those things. Um, and he said and we do every one of them in in, in ICU and in intensive care. And I, I was really taken aback by that. And you know, I, I guess that's something um, I guess I want us to make a bit more noise about because I, I wonder if some of those patients, very much like our encephalitis patients, when they leave hospital, no one's told them that brain injury is a thing after it. And I wonder if anybody talks to these patients about the, the risk of PTSD afterwards and, and whether people go home wondering what on earth is wrong with them, you know, why they're suffering in this way. I think that's a really valid point. Um, I know um, many intensive cares, and certainly the one uh, the ones run at um, St Mary's, Charing Cross, and the Hammersmith hospitals have um, um, a follow up service, um, which initially is by telephone, um, uh, for the physical and uh, mental aspects of um, having been critically ill. And I think it's really important. I think one of the things about um, um, PTSD is actually it often comes to manifest after. Um, um, the physical recovery has happened. It's as if um, only then, um, you know, does the mind have the opportunity to um, to focus on these things. And I, I um, you know, with our encephalitis patients, um, um, frequently see this. And um, I sometimes use the analogy of, um, you know, a soldier returning from uh, from a war zone. Um, you know, it's um, it's actually as you begin to decompress. Um, after the, um, um, the physical impact of what's gone on, that the psychological impact takes, um, um, takes, uh, takes hold. 
And I think um, I often use a discussion about sleep as being a, um, a, a really um, useful way to, um, um, uh, to um, open up uh, uh, about some of these things that may be going on because disturbances in sleep can often be um, an early sign that something's amiss. Um, what I'd say to people is, um, yeah, talk. And, um, uh, and if you're having difficulties um, um, finding somebody to talk to or somebody to listen, then um, you know, the NHS has this great self-referral service um, through um, um, IAPT. You can look up NHS IAPT on Google, put in your postcode and find a whole series of um, uh, talk-based resources that you can refer yourself to uh, without the intervention of a healthcare worker. So, um, yeah, amongst individuals who've been through uh, um, tough experiences in, um, uh, in hospital, yeah, be aware. But also, um, you know, think about the um, relatives as well. I can only think, um, you know, how difficult it must have been during this period as a relative to have had a loved one critically ill in hospital that you're unable to visit um, you may be uh, shown their face on ICU through, um, um, you know, through an iPad or something um, a couple of times a week. Have little understanding of what's going on. Uh, medical and nursing staff who um, similarly are, are learning and not able to give you um, definitives um, as to what's going to happen, what they're expecting. I don't think the PTSD will just be seen amongst um, um, survivors of COVID. I think it will be equally, um, uh, we, we will see it in, um, um, in next of kin as well. No, that's a really important point and thank you for bringing that up. I think again, you know, along with the cleaners and, and all the other people that can easily be forgotten um, during this pandemic, I think you're absolutely right. I think the carers can be easily overlooked as well. Um, so we're coming towards the, the end of our um, podcast and I, I wondered, um, you know, do you have any advice for members of the public who, who are listening to you at the moment? So um, I think um, we need to begin to try and get our lives um, back to normal. And I think um, there is a I think amongst a proportion of people, there's a huge fear about um, uh, this illness and that's understandable. But um, we do need to get on again. We do need people to start getting, um, you know, back on with their regular assessments, their um, uh, regular activities. Um, and uh, on the medical side, you know, we need people in due course to get on and have their regular cancer screenings. We need people to let their GPs know if they've got new symptoms that um, um, need to be checked out, new lumps and bumps. We don't want people to be um, missing out on um, um, healthcare um, through a fear of, um, of engaging with healthcare workers. We in hospitals and is the case in primary care will do our absolute best to make sure that if you have to come to a healthcare facility, you're not going to pick up an infection from us. And that's at the forefront of our minds. Um, and we're, we're, we're really trying. And um, it's, I think, 
very important now that we um, try to get back to um, some form of um, normality. It's going to take time, there are going to be hiccups, um, but we want people to be getting um, treatment for their other ailments and investigations um, for new symptoms. And that's really important too. Yeah. Um, my final question to you is, you know, do you think that, that anything good or anything positive can come out of, of this experience that, that we've all been through? Of course, um, of course. Um, you know, we've learned masses. Um, we have, I think, in many respects, pulled together as a society, which is a good thing. Um, I think that um, um, actually many of us um, have been deprived of lots of um, 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 experiences or um, bits and pieces over the last few months and actually life can go on without going to restaurants every week or um, <laughs> living the high life um, you know obviously we want some of these things back in our life but I think it's made us focus on the things that are, um, are really important and it's made us think about um, the people around us, um, uh, which I think is an important thing to do as well. And people around us who are not necessarily our family and friends, but um, our neighbours, the people we meet in the street, and the people that um, um, keep the world going. Yeah, no, wise words indeed, and I think that's absolutely right. Um, before I do my closing remarks, is there anything else that you'd like to say, or is there anything that I haven't asked you that you, you'd like to comment on? Uh, I think um, the Encephalitis Society's done a really good job at, um, um, you know, trying to keep people informed, trying to keep on top of um, uh, a changing um, medical world and being engaged with um, um, all that's happening at uh, light speed, it seems, um, uh, research-wise and information-wise. So um, um, I, many thanks to... Uh, all who work in the Encephalitis Society for keeping the show on the road during these difficult times and with their home working and uh, for being so engaged. Um, it's, uh, you know, hugely appreciated. Oh, thank you, Nick. Um, the team will be made up when, when they hear that. I know they've, they've all been incredible and I, I couldn't be a more, a more proud CEO um, than I am of them. They've all really stepped up and, and gone beyond and, you know, they always did that before, but um, yeah, I've been proud to, proud to work with them. Well, look, we're deeply grateful to you for taking the time out to speak to us during this, you know, extraordinary time um, and um, one of these um, unprecedented, I think it's a word that's been overused probably over the last few months, but unprecedented time in your career. Um, on behalf of all of our members um, and everybody at the Encephalitis Society, you know, thank you for all that you do. Thank you so much for having been there for us during the last 20 years. Uh, you know, it's so important. Um, all of our scientific advisors, uh, you know, you're all volunteers, you will give your name to us, you give us your time, all free, um, and we're deeply grateful um, for that. And we wouldn't be where we are or able to, to do what we do um, without all of your care and guidance, you know, that we've had over the last few years and, and that we get at the moment. But we also want to take this opportunity as well to reassure any viewers um, that, as, as Nick said, you know, the Encephalitis Society services remain unchanged and unaffected during this difficult time. So if anybody needs any support or information, um, our teams are still at your service. Go to encephalitis.info um, for contact details or 
just to chat online. Um, if you've enjoyed this podcast or any of the ones that preceded it or come after it and you can support our work, then please visit encephalitis.info forward slash donate. But most of all, wash your hands and stay safe. Thank you.